2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Well, I probably don't need to convince you that our world is a beautiful place that can inspire us, bring us feelings of deep joy and awe and wonder. But I also wouldn't need to convince you that many of the things that we encounter and experience in this world can do the very opposite and bring us to places of deep grief and despair. If you've ever walked closely with someone who is suffering a terminal illness, to see them deteriorate and to suffer is almost unbearable. If you've experienced a breakdown in a close personal relationship, either with a parent or a spouse, a child, a sibling, that can leave such deep wounds. Or it can be those things that we see and we hear that take place in this world, unthinkable things, the atrocities of war. In some of the stories I've heard, and I'm sure you have too, coming out of the Ukraine, the way that people will sometimes abuse one another, the weak, the vulnerable, the capacity of human beings to harm each other is sometimes, well, not just heartbreaking, but unfathomable. But that is the world that we live in, a world full of the most wonderful beauty and at the same time the most horrific cruelty. It shouldn't need to be said, but being a follower of Jesus doesn't make you immune from any of that, from suffering or from injustice. God doesn't promise to put us in a bubble or isolate us from all of that. Jesus never promised that our life will be free of the ordinary hardships of life. In fact, he warns us that becoming a disciple of his will bring some extra difficulties all on its own. The fact is, living in this world is a struggle. We may be saved, but so often we are struggling, aren't we? And so what to do? Does God expect us to just ride it out until Jesus returns? Do we just accept our lot in life until the joy of heaven arrives? Well, there's a half-truth in that, but that's not the whole story. Uh, today we're going to be thinking about the struggle of living in this broken world and what difference, if any, knowing Jesus makes. What answers, if any, the Bible provides. So firstly, I think it's helpful to take a step back and think about the big picture of why our world is the way that it is. Because the Bible is not silent about that. It's not without answers. 
the very opening pages of the Bible deal with this very issue. At the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we see God creating this good world, a world that is orderly and purposeful and good, where mankind is made in the image of God in relationship with God. But the world doesn't stay that way. Only three chapters in and we see the corruption of this world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve. God's authority is rejected, mankind is cursed, and the good creation is now broken. Relationships are fractured between God and humanity, person to person, between humanity and creation itself. Death is now a reality and life outside the garden will be a struggle. Now that, of course, isn't going to answer every question you might have about the dilemma of suffering, but the short answer as to why the the short answer to the question as to why our world is the way that it is, is there. That it's because we have turned our back on God. When humanity rejects its creator and his design for us, well, we reap the consequences. And so why doesn't God do something about that? Why let that continue? Well, the Bible has a response to that question too. Again, the short answer is that he has and he will. The story of the Bible is God's unfolding plan about how to resolve that very problem. We see it come to its fulfilment in Christ, but there is a day to come as well. God does care about justice. He does care about correcting what has gone wrong. And so that passage that we had read for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 we find this declaration that God is just, that he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well, and that this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. God has set a day when he will judge the world and he will do it justly. Everyone will be called to give an account before God. No one will be getting away with anything. God's perfect knowledge, his perfect justice will come together. And this will happen when Jesus comes again. Justice will be done. Now, most people don't like the idea of God's judgment. And I get that. That's understandable. I once had a parent try to do a deal with me about their kid coming along to a kids club that I was running at a previous church. She said she would only send her kids along to our kids club if I promised that we would never talk about hell. I told her that we wouldn't go out of our way to talk about it, but that the idea of God's judgment was in the Bible and it would probably come up at some point. She told me that she thought we should just focus on the nice Sunday school stories like King David. I really wanted to say, you mean the story with all of the adultery and the murder and the incest, but I held my tongue. We don't like the idea of God judging us, and it's not a pleasant thing to contemplate. But I hope you can see that without the judgment of God, there can be no real justice. The abuser, the war criminal, the corrupt politician... They may not see justice in this world. Very often they do not. 
that can only be found with God and his final judgment based on his absolute and his perfect knowledge of all of our actions and all of our motivations. But along with that judgment comes to the promise of the new creation. And we looked at that idea last week, where everything will be made new, where the curse of sin is done away with. And so the Bible says that there will be an ultimate resolution to this dilemma of our struggles. And that will occur when Jesus returns. So that's a big picture in very broad brushstrokes. There's plenty more that could be said about all of that. That's the big picture, but there's also, isn't there, the reality of the world that we live in now? Because our world is a broken one. We are groaning under the curse of sin. So yes, we can know in Christ we are saved, but how does knowing Jesus make any great difference to our experience of those hardships in life? To put it another way, is there any benefit in being a Christian? Well, the first thing I'd say is that while we will still have troubles, God does promise to be a comfort to us in those troubles. Uh, There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that goes this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. God here is described as the father of compassion, God of all comfort. And God here promises to be with us as we struggle in this life. He has given us his spirit. He's promised to be with us always. Jesus declared things like I will never leave you or forsake you I won't leave you as orphans I will send the counsellor to you to be with you God is present with us and promises to be beside us until the very end that's something to remember that's something to hang on to when those hard times come God has promised to provide comfort to us I think one of the ways that he's done that is through the sending of his son. Because as we look at Christ, we can, we can see and we can know that God does understand, that God does care. In Hebrews chapter 2, it describes Jesus in this way. It says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We talk about it as the the incarnation, that Jesus comes in the flesh and and takes on human form. But there's a, a wonderful beauty to the reality of that. Hebrews here explores that in being made like us in every way, Jesus is uniquely able to empathise with us and relate to us. Jesus knew what it was to be betrayed by a close friend. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knows what it feels like to have other people let you down. He knows what it feels like to feel isolated 
or to feel abandoned. He knew grief. There's a reason why Jesus was called a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He was all of those things because he lived this life. He lived in the same broken world that we do. Knowing that God loves us, knowing that God does understand, that Jesus himself can sympathise with our suffering, that ought to be a comfort to us as well. But it's not just comfort that God promises us because he also promises to be at work in all things for our good. And in that way, our struggles aren't something simply to be endured because God says he's going to actually use them. And I don't say that lightly because I think sometimes it's, it's almost impossible to see how some of the things that take place in this world and even in our own lives could be for anybody's good. But I think it, it only makes sense if we understand that God is in fact more interested in our growth as his children and even more interested in his own glory than he is with our comfort. So let me show you a couple of verses. First is in Romans. It says, Not only so, but we ourselves glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And then in 1 Peter, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. God says he will use the trials and the hardships that we experience in this life to do something within us, to strengthen our faith, to develop our character, our maturity as his children, and ultimately to bring glory to his own name as our faith is proved genuine. Now, none of that's to suggest that it's fun or pleasant, but God says he is at work even in those things that we might normally describe as bad. And God says he's at work in them for our good. As I said, I don't think we're always going to be able to perceive how that's the case. Sometimes we can with the benefit of hindsight as we look back on an experience. We see the things God did in and through that time. But there may be other times where we simply have to accept that God has his reasons to trust him. But even in that very act of trusting him, that exercise of our faith, our faith is strengthened, is it not? Or as it says here, it's proved genuine. And as we do that, as we be people who trust God, not just when times are easy, but even when times are difficult, God is honoured in that. I think there's another way that our struggles can have a, a practical benefit too. And we saw that in our earlier passage. Um, where it talked about how God comforts us, but how we then in turn can comfort others. See there in the middle it says, uh, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We are able to empathise with others in a unique way 
when we experience hardship. And I think there's a unique ministry that we can have to others when we experience that kind of thing. I remember there was a, a woman from a previous church I was involved in who had a son who was born very prematurely. And as traumatic as that experience was, in time she found herself involved in a ministry to other families who had gone through a similar thing. And in that she was uniquely equipped to offer understanding, to offer help, to offer insight to others. I don't doubt that you could testify to how someone else has been that for you in a time of trial. Not someone who said, I know exactly how you're feeling. That's an expression best avoided, I think. But someone who was actually a comfort to you because they were able to share with you from their experience, from the comfort that they themselves experienced from God. The last thing I want to talk about on this topic is the idea of how God's people, even in the midst of this broken world, are to be a force for good. Jesus said, in the same way let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He also said, love your neighbour as yourself, and perhaps most uncomfortably, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God calls us to be people who do all we can to love those around us, to stand in the breach, if you like, to try and minimise the impact of sin in this world and its consequences on people. God's people, and particularly his community of people, the church, we ought to be able to give others something of a taste of what the new creation will be like. We do that as we are generous with what we have, as we care for the poor, as we look after those on the margins, as we speak up for those without a voice. Even something as simple as, I think, being someone who is trustworthy, who can be relied upon, whose word is true. That is something that matters and something that's all too rare in this world. God calls us to be his light in this world. And in that, we can push back some of that darkness. We cannot stop this world from being broken, but we can reflect something of the true image of God that we were created to be and to be a force for good in this world and in the lives of those around us. Say, ultimately, the greatest good that we have to offer our world is the hope of the gospel itself, is it not? The promise of a restored relationship between people and their creator, to know peace with God. God has given us that message to share, that mission as well. So, has that answered all of your questions about suffering in the world? I doubt it. And God, God doesn't promise to do that either. God doesn't promise to tell us how he's at work in every event, every hardship of life. But he does tell us that he is at work. And as we sang before, he reminds us that he's in control. So remember that big picture. Live with that understanding of who God is, why our world is broken, 
It's okay too to long for that day when Jesus will return, when he will make things right, when he'll make everything new. But until then, take comfort in knowing that God is with you, that he'll never abandon you. Remember that our Lord and Saviour does know, he does understand, he does care, and that he is at work even in the midst of the worst experiences of life. For your part, be someone who doesn't compound the suffering of others, but seek to be a force for good in this world as you share the love of Jesus with those around you.